Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth Podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. I'm your host, Rachel Myers. And I'm your other host, Amanda Bible-Williams. And this week, we are so grateful to welcome Jefferson Bethke to the podcast. Jeff is a best-selling author. He and his wife, Alyssa, are YouTubers. They're podcasters. They have three wonderful children. And they have recently co-launched something called Family Teams, which is super cool. Jeff is just a man of many talents. And we're excited to talk to him this week about God's Word. So let's go. Jeff, I'm so excited that you're headed to the beach after this. I want to be where you are right now. There is some cons to living in Hawaii, which is, you know, you're a speck in the middle of the ocean, 2,000 miles away from the next landmass. Small known fact, we are the farthest away from the next landmass than anywhere else in the world. But the pros are you can go to the beach on field trip day every Wednesday like our family does. So, yes, it's fun. I also like that you have field trip day every Wednesday. We I do. want field trip day. Yeah. We're a homeschool family, or I call it an unschool family because I'm a little bit more out of the box, tinker with life. And yeah, and you know, you just got to toss in some rhythms like that. So every Wednesday we get out, do something fun, get out in nature, which maybe you could, I don't know if you could do that in Minnesota or wherever, wherever it's snowing or terrible, but we can do that here year round. We are also a homeschool family. And one of our rules is that there is no bad weather. There is just um, not good clothing. And so like wear what you need to wear for the weather. There's a book on that. I read that book. It was good. It's something about like, yeah, there's something always good about rainy weather and just like leaning into whatever life presents. It's really good. Yep. Yeah. Love that. Well, I'm excited, Jeff. You are the capstone. It's the final week of the women and men in the New Testament study. We've got five weeks leading up to this. You're number six. You're the first guy guest for this series. Ooh, so Thank you. But That's it is, true. You it are. Is women and men in the New Testament. So let's actually get Who a guy's been perspective. On? Who else has been in the series? We had uh, Sadie Robertson Huff, Joe Saxton, Jada Edwards, Ruth Simons. Mm-hmm. Is that everybody? Yeah. And, then and then Jessica from our office. From our our no team. pressure. Yeah. That's a squad right there of just it is a squad. powerful <laughs> women. Yeah, that is quite a squad. This has been a good series. It's fun. Also, it's just talking about like the stories of people, like those narratives. I've had to like kind of catch myself actually not using the word stories and using accounts because Mm. like story almost like implies that it could be a fictional story. And I like actually calling these accounts like that feels helpful to me. That this is history. Yeah. 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 Well, it's funny you mentioned that. That's actually... I mean, if, yeah, anyone who's followed us for two seconds of time knows I'm just big on what I call the meta-narrative of Scripture. We're always getting into the whole story, et cetera. And yeah, it's annoying that that's... Yes. I always get frustrated that that's actually something we always push up against is people think that... It's sad, but that word has so been co-opted by... It means fake or fiction, when right. I think it just means compelling and beautiful and awesome. And you can exactly. even go to the next step, someone like C.S. Lewis and stuff like that, when they start talking about myths. Now, the Scriptures aren't myths. But there's even another layer there, too, where even if there is something that is, that doesn't mean that it can't teach us something in a really beautiful, condensed, truthful way. And that's a second tier layer thing because myths are different. But yeah, all that that language, that's a whole other conversation, but it does frustrate me how people, people, how they see those words and how they see those things. And they don't understand the beautiful layers that has in scripture. Exactly. So yeah, I use accounts because it's just a good reminder to me that this is a history book. Totally. But stories such a like you don't want to throw that word out, I agree. But they're also really good stories. Yeah. Like it's just, you know, as stories go, like they are really compelling. It's the story of all stories. Like this is the best story ever written. So to like take away that word. Right. I get that. Yeah. Yeah. It's an uphill battle, but I do think that if you can keep going there story has a lot of the, if you can get past that fictionalized part that's annoying, story does tend to put us in a place that I do think can unlock some of the scripture too, of like, oh, yeah. this, this has a plot, this has a climax, this has a beginning, this has an end, this has intricacies, yeah. right? I totally got Christopher Nolan vibes when I read the scripture, you know what I mean? Like, oh, that's a that yeah. was not plot twist, I was not expecting that, right? Yeah. And so I think, yeah, when you think like that, it does change how you read it. And then you get into the genres, and like that, especially in scripture, is so fun to study how to read different genres, how to read stories of people. That's one thing, but yeah. you know, how to read prophets and prophecy, how to read these letters as letters to an original audience first yes. and then to us. I, I mean, we're all going to just nerd out if we. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and to understand that the people who are characters in the Bible, they're characters, but they're also real people, right? Yeah. That they are human. And that someone's appearance in scripture or even like a cultural reality that appears in scripture doesn't mean that it's automatically prescribed by God or condoned or that this person is to be emulated. Like, you know, and so that's why the overarching narrative, that's why it's so important because 
I believe that Scripture doesn't contradict itself. And so if I believe that, then there are a lot of times where it appears to, and you just have to keep digging. Yeah. And you have to keep digging of like, what is the truth of God's Word? And we'll get into a little bit of that conversation in the last day in this week when we talk about a slave named Onesimus. And so like, wait, slavery, is this condoned in the Bible? No. And so, you know, it's just, it's so yeah. good to, Philemon to and Onesimus, dig in that, there. Yeah, there's such profound truths there that we gloss over because our 21st century goggles are on, right? And that we just right. yes. are missing what's going on. Andy Crouch has done beautiful work on that text. You know, N.T. Wright's done beautiful work on that text. But yeah, I totally agree. It's, I think it was a seminary professor that told me, you know, basically paraphrasing, but basically like if you have problems or big knots that are hard to untie when you get to the scripture, that's your problem, not God's, Right. Now, not saying that God's not going to help you untie it, but like 99% of the time, that knot is actually your doing, right? Your eyes, Mm -hmm. your American Or that knot is like this opportunity. It's something maybe even to get excited about, to go like, oh, I'm about to learn about God here. Like I'm about to understand something Mm -hmm. I do not understand right now. Or this, there's their self-made knots though, based on our cultural context that was not a knot when that was written. Maybe it's I have some personal things to undo. Totally. That's a great point. Yeah. 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 I like that. Well, let's start in Acts chapter 10 with good old Cornelius. Good old Corny, as I like to call him in our household. Corny. Right. You're just like. <laughs> you got to get fun with the kids. Everyone gets a nickname. Everyone Everybody gets something gets funny. If you're opening the scriptures with your kids and they're not laughing every 10 seconds, you're doing it wrong. Can I just say that? Okay. It's been said. It's been said. I like that. I remember one time John Acuff saying, like, the best way to teach somebody something is to get them to laugh right before you actually tell them something that you 100%. want them to know. Yeah, that's so yeah. true, actually. People zoom in right after the laugh. That's so true. Yeah. Okay, so Cornelius, I mean, I haven't even marked here what I want to read about this, but here's the thing about Cornelius. He is the first Gentile convert. And he's the guy who, it's a rare thing that happens in scripture where an angel appears to a human. I love that. And what the Lord does, what the Spirit does in this story is significant on so, so many levels. Like the way that he is at work in Cornelius with an angel and like, meanwhile, he's like meeting Peter and they're like having these people connect them and like they have the three day journey to finally like get in person with each other and like everything has to unfold, but it has to unfold in person and it has to unfold first with the personal meeting with the Lord. Like there's so much at play here and it's such a significant moment in church history. Right. It's just, this story is underrated. 100%. (laughs) That's Oh, corny. Yeah, corny exactly. story. Well, corny story is <laughs> underrated, but it's true. I think, yeah, I mean, there's, there's, um, what, what would be the word I would use? There's all scriptures, God breathe, obviously, all scriptures from the Lord. You know, we're reading different authors, different texts, but there certainly is, I like to believe there is more emphasis at certain parts of the Bible of certain parts being, um, hitch points or turning points, maybe is the right word. I Meaning like, oh, yeah. this, this is a moment that we need to pay attention to where everything's a little different. Everything is from this moment on. Or it's a principle of first. It's going to lay out a principle in this text that is going to set the tone for the next 10 times this principle happens, right? Whether it's the falling of the Holy Spirit in some level, the first Gentile welcome, et cetera. But I think, yeah, stuff like that is really, really important to doubly put on your little, what is that old Sherlock Holmes thing you used to, they used to wear? What is it called? Like a phonicle? A monocle. monocle. What is it? Not a bonicle, a monocle. I, no, know, monocle. I knew I was in the phonetic territory. <laughs> You're a homeschool family. You got to know the Latin. Hey, it's I was in, I, know, I even took Latin in school too, which is horrendous, but I was in the phonetic territory. Thank you. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I got to not pick on our guests. No, I'm pick sorry. on me all the way. That is my, <laughs> that is how I operate. But yeah, you've got to put that thing on, on uh, certain parts of the text. And this is one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the specificity Ooh, there we go. of the story is really remarkable. Like Rachel, you already touched on this, but I love when scripture, you know, not every narrative in scripture is like this, where it's like, you know, you have this going on and at the same time it's this. Like a lot of times stories may appear next to one another in scripture, but that doesn't necessarily mean they were like back to back in a time frame. And so this story is so compelling for one, because it uses the like while Peter was doing this or while they were traveling, you know, and you get scripture intentionally gives you that context that so like, if, for example, in Acts 10. And I'm wondering as you like have it in front of you, I wonder if for those listening who like yeah. don't have Acts 10, like just like at the ready in their memory, like. Which are you in the 21st the... century? I mean, do you have a smartphone in your pocket? Right. Do you have Alexa in your kitchen that tells you to just whip it up? But I hear yeah. you. Yeah, so let's give them an overview. But yeah, <laughs> I'll tell the story or you can, either one of us, or, or Jeff can. No, you guys got it. 
Well, in Acts 10, so I'm going to read the first few verses to get us set up here, starting in verse 1, um, and I'm reading from the CSB version. There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian Regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. Staring at him in awe, he said, what is it, Lord? And then the angel goes on to tell him, I actually am going to read this yeah, verse don't too because I line, love it. It's such a good this line. is such a good line. So this is still in verse four. The angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now, How about that? I know. Now the angel is instructing him to do something specific. Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner, confusing, <laughs> whose house is by the sea. And so he does. He does what he tells him to do. That's all. As far as we know, that's all the information he gets. It doesn't say why. just says... God hears you. God sees you. Now do this specific thing. And so then he goes on to do the thing that he was asked to do. And so then we get down to verse 9, and we have Peter's vision. And it says, The next day, as they were traveling near the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. I love this about Peter. This is like a Jewish custom, I think, the three prayers a day. And so this is his midday prayer. And it says, He became hungry and wanted to eat, but while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. So this was not an angel appearing. This is more of a dream. And it says here, he saw heaven opened and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. And a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And it says, no, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure or ritually unclean. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. This happened three times. I love all these threes, especially for Peter. And suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. And then we get the moment where, you know, the guys connect and they get Peter. They take him to Cornelius. And Peter doesn't even share this vision, this trance, this image that he has with the guys. He waits until he's with Cornelius and they all kind of talk about it together. It's Well, so at this point in the story, we believe that this story is about food. Yes. Which it is, but it also isn't. Yes. It is, but it isn't. A classic, classic Yahweh move right there. Right. And again, and right where you dropped off in verse 17, while Peter was deeply perplexed, right away, the men who had been sent by him, so they come to him right then. So like it is the moment by moment, play by play that the Lord orchestrates here is unbelievable to me. So yeah, so they go and... Where do we leave off, Ray? Where did you leave off? I just have a lot of underlines and exclamation points. It's hard for me to I know. <laughs> exclamation point. Heart. I know. Exclamation point. Yeah, heart. this text is chock full. It's so good. Anyway, here's what I want to say. Like, what's happening here? And then they get together and they talk about it. And then yeah. we get to, like, verse 34, the good news for the Gentiles. And it says, Peter began to speak. Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism. What's happening here is that it's more than about food. And he says, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. Mm -hmm. And it goes on. And then we get this, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard him speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Here's what I love about this moment, where, I mean, so many things, but what's happening here is the good news is for everyone. The good news, it doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile or a Greek. What happens is you're invited to God's table and that's where the food comes in. If the gospel is for everyone, you're going to need to share a table. And so practically speaking, this has to go away because I want my people, I want my children to dine at my table. Yeah. Well, I feel like too, what I love about the food imagery is just so rich. And I think At some level, I think it's almost God exchanging a marker for a new marker. And what I mean by that is, you know, the food laws were, you know, and again, right as someone who gets into this a lot, you know, Richard Hayes at some level, some other people, but 
the Torah, the food markers were not things that we, we look at those and think they're arbitrary, random, and kind of legalistic, right? When instead it's very clear that those were meant to be specific markers as covenantal people, as out, like outward signs of we are the new humans. We are the genuine humans. We are the, the light that's, you know, on a hill. We are the city of God. We are the new Israel. You know, like that's what Israel was being by having these markers and uh, circumcision was one of them. And there's other ones that were obviously there. The food laws were a big one. It was a, a marker, right? To divinely yeah. show these are the people of God. But I feel like God kind of, uh, and those were used and those were right. Like they weren't arbitrary and random and legalistic if Jewish people were to do those. They were meant to do those. But I feel like God kind of puts a stamp in this part right here and says, okay, that was act one of the play. Now act two of the play is the new marker is this table of everyone sitting down, right? Yeah. Yeah. The new marker is actually the diversity of who's going to be at the table. And that's what we see clearly as this story goes on, that the new marker that made the people of God post-resurrection very particular and very distinct was the equality we saw in that group, was the representation we saw in that group, was the socioeconomic status diversity we saw in that group. You can go on and on. So I do think that this is the actual point where that turns, that like welcoming the Gentiles is the step, one of many new steps coming of, oh yeah, the new marker is no longer the food laws of covenantal people of God. The new marker post-resurrection is actually how distinctly unique that this entire family is going to be with all these different ethnoses, you know, and the, the Greek word with all the ethnicities, languages, tribes, tongues, etc. So yeah, I think that's huge in what's happening there. I love that. And also the fact that you use the word ethnoses, I'm going to give you a pass on monocle for that reason. There we go. There yeah. we go. Fair, <laughs> fair. But it's true though, you know, and that, that's a whole other conversation too, by the way, too. I think there's a, someone needs to do a word study on when the scripture talks about tribe, language, ethnicity, and all these different things, because the Bible doesn't use the word race. We use that word a lot now, right. but the Bible uses similar, but different words. And I think there's something there. It's a whole nother conversation, but just FYI. Yes, it is. Well, <laughs> and even backing up from where Rachel read, there's one other thing I want to look at, because even before Cornelius realized to Peter what had happened, because, you know, they get together and they're like, okay, wait, what's going on here? And they have this moment where they yep. have to say, well, well, I was doing this, and then I was doing this, and then they put those pieces together. But in verse 26, this is Acts 10, when Cornelius comes in and meets Peter. It says, you know, right, well, the verse before, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet and worshiped him. In Mm. verse 26, but Peter lifted him up and said, stand up. I myself am also a man. And then there's like this, to me, it's so representative of what's happening. There's kind of like this leveling that's happening where there is the people of God, but now the people of God you know, the curtain has been torn (laughs) and the people of God, the kingdom, the diversity of the kingdom and the inclusivity of the kingdom is becoming apparent. And so then in verse 28, Peter said to them, you know, it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner, but God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. That's why I came without any objection. Like, that's why I came when I knew that I was supposed to. I didn't even ask. Like, I just came on because God had just shown me that. And what's so encouraging and humbling to me about this passage is that this message is not about the other or them being included in like this message is about the gospel being extended to us mm-hmm. we are the other you know we are yeah. the them and because we are the outsider and god brought us into his family and that is now i mean that is what the gospel is it's reconciliation to god and the creation of a new people of a family of god mm-hmm. and so it's just so beautiful what's happening and what will continue to happen. And what I like here is also to like remember that what's happening is not this like obliteration of the created order. It's not like a muddying of that we are all the same. We don't have our unique create, like who we were uniquely created to be, male and female. Like these things, these Jew and Greek, those things still matter about who we are. But what's happening is that there's now no preferential treatment about who has access to God and how we treat each other. No, exactly. And I think that's, you know, and uh, the book of Galatians gets into that as well. And I think that's where we uh, conflate the issue is exactly that. There's no identities are important and necessary. I mean, I think this is where our culture falls on both sides of it in a wrong way, right? Either we 
overhype identities to the point where they can also then be weaponized and used against each other. Mm. Or we flatten everything and say, oh, you know, that verse in Galatians of it's all one in Christ and there's neither now, no, you know, Jew, Gentile, you know, it's like, no, that doesn't mean that the identities aren't there. I think God wants the diversity of identity, but coming together as bricks in a temple with him being the chief cornerstone that builds an incredible, you know, new people of God, you know, that we see in the new city in Jerusalem, Revelation 21, 22. And yeah, I just think we fall on both sides of that rather than like distinctiveness and diversity are hugely important, but they're meant to come together as a complex unity. Yeah. Yeah. The access to God is the same, that the preferential treatment among each other and also from the Lord, like that goes away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, and then you can, I mean, there's so much here too, by the way, on like, (laughs) we could get into the fact that, you know, Cornelius is a Roman centurion in Caesarea, right? By the way. So that's not just some random podunk town. Like this is a very, very powerful man. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a coincidence. We like, you know, Amanda, you alluded to it earlier. Like Acts is not every single move of God that ever happened in the first century. This is very carefully selected and edited to actually Mm -hmm. tell us something. Mm -hmm. And it's not a coincidence that a Roman centurion was put as this person, you know, that was telling us this moment and telling us this story. And obviously, and and I think there's just something there with power dynamics, with the empire, Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. Jesus creating a new humanity, Jesus creating a new city, Jesus subverting our categories, Jesus subverting what it means to have power and on and on and on. And that's all really slowly undergirding this river that's flowing in Acts 10 that I think if mm-hmm. you miss, then you miss a lot of the color that's going on. And I like what you were saying too, Jeff, because this is something that is, while this is sort of like this moment, like this is a marker moment, this also isn't new because mm-hmm. we have all the gospels of Jesus already instituting this. Like he's ushering yes. in this totally like earthquake of how to yeah. look at and love people. Like I think about in Mark, I don't know what chapter it is with... Hey, I was just going to bring up Mark. Hey, no, but like <laughs> we, we think about like that Mark and Sandwich of Jairus and his daughter and then the bleeding woman yeah. and like yeah. the power dynamic that happens there where like Jairus is like, he's an official. So he comes to Jesus' face and says like, hey, I need help. Whereas like the bleeding woman touches, like comes from behind and like touches the hem of his garment and because they have power constructs, but for yes. Jesus, it's equal. Like there is no preferential yes. treatment. Like I can yep. sense you both. It's not like dismiss Jairus and just go to like, they both matter to him. And I think this is something that Jesus is ushering in yeah. all through his ministry. And now this, like the spirit comes and like, this is yeah. this moment. Yeah. Acts isn't, you're, that's such a good point. Acts isn't like inventing this. This is, yeah. this has been here from the gospels. And I just love the even the diversity of the gospel writers, like you brought up Mark and I was thinking of, you know, Mark, one of the most powerful things about Mark is it's a weird, I think it's one of the weirdest gospels. You get in some of the, you know, it's just some of it, how it ends and stuff like that. But it's fascinating in the sense of Mark, clearly his MO, his thesis is trying to keep Jesus hidden. That's, there's this tone, all of it, the whole gospel of hush, of don't say, of who is this man and what it like, it's very much, that's what he's trying to kind of convey. And then how does the book end? The book ends with a Roman soldier being the first person to say, oh, surely the minute the cross happens, surely this was the son of God. And it's like this, it's almost like the book was set up for that epiphany. I think that is the high oh, wow, point of I like that, that book. Thought. Yeah. And, and it's, and by the way, isn't the Mark the one without the resurrection account or does Mark have the resurrection account? I can't remember because I think one of them doesn't, but even if it doesn't or does, if it doesn't, then I think that's also very pertinent that that's not a coincidence that this is how this one ends, right? <laughs> uh, because that's yeah. the point of this book. That's yeah. the point of this book is that, man, this surely is our king, a king who is bleeding in that moment, crucified in that moment, tortured in that moment, has absolutely zero physical representation of power to the first century, in the first century, and a Roman person of all people, a Roman soldier who's the epitome of power, says in that moment, epiphany, this is the man of God, this is the son of God, this is the Christ. What a subversion, what an upside down nature of that entire book. And again, I think that's kind of flowing into Acts as well, very similar tones of the power of the Roman Empire versus the power of the kingdom of Jesus, and they're colliding, and Acts does the same thing. Acts ends with what? Paul in Rome. It's like almost like this journey of from Jerusalem all the way to the seat of power in the first century to show that Jesus is the true king. And that's really, really powerful. I love that. Yeah. And as we see in the Gospels, Jesus bringing the kingdom of God to earth, and then in Acts, we start to get more 
of more understanding and more, I've been trying not to use the term fleshing out because it bothers me so much. I especially hate that More expounding (laughs) on what it, what the kingdom of God My least favorite is earthly. I can't handle the word earthly. Earthly. Rachel has made us edit the word earthly out of books just because of a personal (laughs) pet peeve. Hey, that's fair. Just can't. Just like like Luke has very distinct editing, you know, things he's going on next. It's the perks of being self-published. You can just edit out whatever you (laughs) want. But part of the expounding on and understanding of what the kingdom of God looks like and how it operates and and who the church is and what the church is, it leads us right into James when we get the Jerusalem Council, which is is doubling down on what just happened with Peter and Cornelius. And now this is James, the brother, half-brother of Jesus, Mm -hmm. not James the apostle, different. Yes. They were apostles. Yes. Yes. Same. Sure. Yeah. Same. Agree. Um, I'm tracking. I'm tracking. Come on, everyone. Here we are. (laughs) Don't pick on me. We're on the same team, Rachel. Um, and I was I, thinking the same thing though, like that we're in, like, and maybe this is the fun thing about week six that we're at this other side now of, yes. of yeah. the ministry and the death and the resurrection, and now we're getting into this place where, like, Jesus has done this finished work, and yeah. now there's these first responses to it. Even his brother, who didn't believe while he was alive, who didn't yes. believe. Scripture makes it clear, and. So let's see, we've got we've got a few places where, you know, in Mark 3, where it says in verse 20, Jesus entered a house and the crowd gathered again, so they were not even able to eat. When his family heard this, they set out to restrain him because they said, he's out of his mind. And then in John 7, in verse 5, there's a parenthetical, for not even his brothers believed in him. So the scripture is making it clear that James was not a believer yeah. During Wait, Jesus, the verse ministry. before the parenthetical, it's so his brother said to him, "Leave here and go to Judea, where so disciples can see your works that you are doing. For no one does anything in secret while he's seeking public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed him. Like the fact that they just don't get it. Like if you're trying to yeah. do a thing, Jesus, which I'm flabbergasted by this moment, and also I probably also understand it. But like they shared a mom, like. Mary, not just like any mom, but like Mary's their mom. I've been like kind of unpacking over this week, preparing for this recording, thinking about how on earth, on one hand, like in the same household, Jesus is very clearly different. And like, we've got his birth story, which obviously wasn't recorded at the time. We know that. We know actually that the book of James was written before any of the gospels were written. So that's a whole thing. But I think it's just like confounding to me, and I don't understand Jewish culture in the first century. Like, it's possible that like Mary wasn't having these conversations. I understand that probably parenting in this place and time was very different than twenty first century parenting, where you just communicate everything and you talk about this is where babies yeah. come from. Like, maybe yeah. they didn't have that conversation that this baby didn't come from dad. But like, I mean, totally, it just blows my mind a little bit that like James wouldn't physically understand that Jesus was the son of God. But also, I also understand that like that well, whole, the like the prophet isn't accepted in power. his own country. Yeah. 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 And not, I mean, I think it actually gives hope to all of us yeah. to be a brother of Jesus and to be in such proximity to that grace, that tenderness, that gentleness, yeah. that upside down power and to not be convinced I mean, that's like also one of the one of my favorite resurrection stories. Oh, by the way, self-correct. I looked up after I mentioned it. Yeah, Mark does have the resurrection story, but it's an abrupt ending. And then there's the controversy about, you know, verses 9 through 20. That's where I got confused. Yep, yep. Well, yeah, so I forget what gospel is it in, but there's one of the gospel stories, you know, where it's like they see it's, it says, and Jesus appeared to them in his resurrected body and some doubted. And it's like. <laughs> Like the glorified, yeah. <laughs> risen from the dead Jesus, and like in front of them, and they doubted. There's no more hopeful verse than that, right? Like it's okay if you doubt, it's yeah. okay if you struggle, it's okay if you wrestle, because he had brothers who didn't believe, who literally yeah. had 30 years with them, and mm-hmm. then he had people who saw them, like him, basically shining, him literally like <laughs> shimmering, awake from the dead, risen from the dead, and they still doubted. And by still the way, doubted. if you don't know this, this, and, and then you get into, by the way, then the legacy of James after, yeah. right? and then you get into someone like even Jude, Jude's grandsons, by the way, do you guys know that story? Jude's grandson, I love that. No. With, what is it? The, the Roman emperor Domitian in like what, the year 100? I'll probably butcher it. I haven't read it for a while, but Jude's grandson is a fascinating story too about, I think that t- tells us something prophetic in this moment where Domitian was hearing of kind of this movement, you know, these people and this kingdom and all this stuff. 
And so he uh, called to account basically Jesus's relatives. And I think the only, some of the only people alive at that time were Jude's grandsons, which would have been, what would that be? His great nephews or something like that. And so he calls into account, they show up, you know, at the palace and he basically just kind of starts grilling them. And I think he's ready to probably even execute them about their kingdom. And like, he's threatened, right? He's threatened by like, there's something going on. There's some kingdom, there's some power. And he realizes once they actually show up that they're, they're poor, they look dirty. They say that their kingdom is not of this world. And then he asks them to show him their hands and they're dirty, they're calloused, they're bruised. And basically he realizes they are lower to middle class kind of peasants at some level, and he's no longer threatened. And I just feel like, and by the way, at that time, they were enormous leaders in the church. So back to your word you don't like, earthly, I think there was something (laughs) distinctly earthly and powerful about the witness of Jesus. Like they were not power hungry in the first century. That's what I'm trying to say. And actually there was moments where those collided and realized just how subversive kingdom power is versus Roman power. When today that's a whole cluster of how we, you know, sadly try to saddle up with too much power, sadly try to get in bed with the empire and stuff like that. But fascinating stories there. I like hearing that contrast to what we read from John 7 about them going like, hey, if you're really like as cool as you say you are, like get in front of people. Like, let's get totally. this right guy in the words you of Hamilton. A- let's get this guy in front of a crowd. Yes. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yes. So speaking of the resurrection and the resurrected Jesus appearing to people. So yeah. we have in in the day's reading for James, we have 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 7. And I'm just going to read it, Do it because it's about the resurrection. Mm-hmm. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And this, as I understand it, is... James the brother, yeah. not James the apostle. And so I think there's something cool there of the brother appearing to the brother <laughs> and seeking after him. I could yeah, be wrong so if that's the same James, but I believe it is. We have it in our reading day. And then to know, too, that when James writes his own, his letter, we now know as the book of James, he identifies himself not even as the brother of Jesus, but Jesus as his Lord. So James mm. 1, 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. What so, a humbling moment. Right. Because if you're ever going to, I mean, if you're going to make an introduction of yourself and you're also the brother the, of the Jesus. the brother of the Messiah. Right. No big right. deal. But Son let's also Mary. say how hard that must have been. I don't think there's anyone yeah. I'd rather call Lord, not rather call Lord than a sibling. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At She Reads Truth, we want to equip you to be in God's Word every day. In our newest study on the book of Ephesians, we will open our Bibles and explore what it means to have unity and victory in Jesus. As believers, we've been adopted into God's family and raised to new life with Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and by the blood of the cross, we are not only unified with Christ, but we are also called to be united with one another. We invite you to join us as we spend three weeks diving into this letter to the Ephesians, where Paul invites believers to live worthy of the calling we have received. We hope you'll join us in the book of Ephesians beginning on August 10th. As a special gift to our podcast listeners, we're giving you 20% off when you use the code Ephesians20. Will you join us? I wish that we knew. I know that the Bible is like perfectly complete and it has everything that we need, but sometimes I want to know more about Jesus' childhood. Like, I think that's probably where some of that, like, tension comes in about, like, James, why didn't you know more about this? Because I also want to know more about this. Anyway, those are my thoughts. One of the verses from the book of James that struck me, you know, when James is talking about being a doer of the word and not just a hearer, there's a line in here that just holds so much becomes even weightier when I remember that he was Jesus' brother and didn't believe that he was the Messiah at first. And so so verse 22 is the verse we know, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror, for he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom 
and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. And I thought, this is him. He's talking about himself. You know, like he looked into the eyes of the Messiah Mm -hmm. and didn't realize not just who the Messiah was, but who he was, Mm -hmm. like that this was his his Savior, that this was the Son of God. And it's just really cool to hear this kind of testimony from someone who thought Jesus was out of his mind for a while. Yeah. You're right, Jeff. I think it's really hopeful. Yeah. To be clear, I said hopeful, not helpful, but also helpful. (laughs) But it's true. And I think also it's hopeful to those who have doubted. It's hopeful to those who haven't you know, maybe how to that, that like you can identify with like it being so powerful, but yet you're still missing the point and you're still not understanding. But it's also hopeful, I think, to people who have trusted and understood the resurrection for their life and actually found deep, profound resistance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. For them too, of like, oh man, if Jesus himself, right, experienced, because I think we have to talk about that where so many times we believe if only we had more power. If only if we were more perfect, if only if we were more spiritually shimmering, again, to use that language, <laughs> um, then, you know, that person would have got saved or and then that person would have been impacted or, oh, then that person would have turned around when it's like, obviously not, you know, because Jesus himself, the God man, that didn't happen. Like everyone he encountered didn't just fall on their face. You know what I mean? Yeah, he was rejected. Uh, there's a real war. There's yeah. a real battle. There's real principalities. There's real actual wills and decisions and all these different things that collide. And I think... Yeah, it's kind of one of those things where you can kind of ask yourself a hypothetical outs to its logical conclusion to make you realize what you really truly believe. And I think that's one of them of like, oh, man, do I believe that if I just had kind of my more spiritual ducks in a row, I would have Mm -hmm. more impact? Right. Well, that didn't I mean, Jesus did and didn't depending on it. Right. That's the whole point. Right. And that was intentional. That was not accidental. I mean, it wasn't when he was you know, took on flesh and the form of a servant and a human and that he was rejected and he was thought to be out of his mind, that those things were not, he was still king in Mm -hmm. those moments. It wasn't like, I wish I could get them to believe me. Like it wasn't like an ineffectual, it was like he was walking out the will of the father. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's because then we have to talk about the tail end of that, of how many people feel like a failure or feel sure. uh, some mm-hmm. type of shame or guilt or, oh, God must have not told me to do that mm-hmm. or I must have heard him wrong, right? No, Jesus was the one who, he was the truly human one and the God man who heard God perfectly and it was a terrible failure. Yeah. Like this uh, is... by, all, by all earthly accounts, it was an absolute failure. People said no, people resisted, he got arrested, he got crucified, etc. you know? Yeah, our work for the kingdom is not about our statistics. Our work for yes. the kingdom is about our obedience. Right. Yeah, exactly. And we are responsible for our obedience, not for the outcome. And what can look like a failure to us may be a shimmering (laughs) success in the eyes of the Lord because we don't get to decide how he works. Yeah. 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 And it's a good thing. Yeah. Well, the last three reading plan days for this week and for this plan, I'm going to call them, this is the rest of this is going to be called Couples Week because we get Priscilla and Aquila. And then we get Timothy, which I am going to call this a power couple because this would be Paul and Timothy, in my opinion. Like, they're, this yeah. story is about both of them in a lot of ways. Right. And then we also get Philemon and Onesimus. So let's go to Priscilla and Aquila. Yeah. Ooh, and also, yes. like, there's a variation of spellings, even like within translations, that it's sometimes Prisca. And Aquila, is that right? Oh, okay. I think so. Uh, but we're we're Priscilla. That's not, that has today. a little more flair to it. I would I would receive Prisca. that name if that was me. Listen, <laughs> yeah, right there in in Romans uh, sixteen three, it's Prisca and Aquila. Like for Good some reason, I can't explain it, guys. I don't know everything. But here's what we know about them. Here's what we do know. So they are tent makers with Paul. The Emperor Claudius made them leave Rome. They lived in Rome and they were exiled. And then we know that they taught Apollos. And then they returned to Rome. Like their ministry was a learning and knowing and understanding of the gospel. And then they were making disciples. Like they were discipling people. Like Apollos, for example, and we can read about him in Acts 18, it looks like. Verse 24, it says, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he knew only John's baptism. So he just had like a limited education. And it says, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. 
After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. I love that. And then when he wanted to cross over to Acacia, the brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome him. After he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. So this little like mention of Priscilla and Aquila, like their moment was small, but really important. They just took him aside and they were like, yes, good. Let us tell you more. Like, let us expand what you know. Let us invest in you. Yeah. And they were with Paul for quite some time, mm-hmm. like on his... Even I mean, earlier in, in Acts 18. Yeah. Like they were with him. And I think it's interesting too that the tent making is what brought them together, it sounds like. It says that Paul stayed with them because they were tent makers too, mm-hmm. which is so cool. Like if we talk about how specifically the story is written which means history is written. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. But I love that Apollos was competent. Here are the words. He was eloquent. He was competent. He had been instructed. He was fervent. He was already, he was teaching accurately and they helped him teach more accurately. Like those are the two. Mm -hmm. Yes, and. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was, he was already teaching accurately, but they heard him and took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. And it, course, you know, I think of Proverbs twenty seven seventeen, like iron sharpening iron and how just the humility that is required. And you were talking earlier, Jeff, about the unity of the body of Christ and the church and how it's by design and we need each other in this moment of them pulling him aside and offering correction, but for the sake of the gospel and to read between the lines there and see that he received it yeah. and then use that. And then you can see the legacy of that later, like in Romans 16, where Priscilla is called Prisca, Romans 16, three, give my greetings to Prisca and Aquila, my coworkers in Christ Jesus, who risked their own necks for my life. I love that. We didn't get that story, <laughs> did we? Mm-mm. I wonder what that story is. Not only do I thank them, but so do all the Gentile churches. So like, the Gentile churches, that's part of Priscilla and Aquila's legacy mm-hmm. of obedience and of being in the faith. and um, Because the work can't be carried out by just one person. Paul did exactly. what Paul was, Paul obeyed in his part yeah. of his ministry. But part of that was teaching men and women like Priscilla and Aquila and for them to teach Apollos. And we're going to, I mean, we're right around the corner from Timothy where like, that's like his son in the faith. And he's loves Timothy. Like the language that describes their relationship is so precious. Like not just like the narrative language, but even the words that Paul writes about Timothy are really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Before we leave Priscilla and Aquila, I I have one, one thing that was personally convicting to me was that just this reminder that we are to use our gifts for each other in the kingdom, yeah. not against mm-hmm. or in competition with, or but we are to use our gifts for each other. And this, that just feels like a really powerful example of that, that I want to learn from. I want to mm-hmm. be like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be like Jesus, but also <laughs> I want to be like the Jesus I see in Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos. Um, Yeah, I love that, to be able to receive correction. And another thing we won't talk about because there's not time, but Joe Saxton referred to these moments as earthquake moments. Mm -hmm. You you kind of alluded to it already. Mm -hmm. But the fact that a woman pulled Apollos aside Mm -hmm. and taught him the way of Jesus more accurately Mm -hmm. speaks to that legacy in the Gospels that we already talked about Mm -hmm. of the way that Jesus operated Mm -hmm. and the way that he taught them to be. And the, the husband and wife worked together right. to do and, that. Okay, Timothy. Yes, I have many hearts in my margin because of the language with which <laughs> That's how you Paul, guys know in your, in, you just put little hearts, little emojis? But oh, it's yeah. so tender. The language that he uses to talk That's about amazing. his son and the faith is so totally loving. And there are even these moments in these select readings that we have where Paul is kind of saying, like, if I can't come to you, he's the next best thing. Like, that's how close mm-hmm. they were. Yep. Yeah. So, like, Second Timothy 1, where he's saying to Timothy, my dearly loved son, remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I'm convinced is in you also. I love that he's so confident in 
the spirit at work in Timothy, yeah. that it's sure, like it's a lot of investment from Paul, but then just to kind of go like, here's, this is yours now. Like your faith is yours. Like it was your grandmother, it was your mom. Like it wasn't me, but like, look at you and like go. And like, I want to encourage you now to also have sons in the faith. I love that. And then it's interesting also that Timothy, he is, I think it says that his mom was a believing Jew. Uh, his dad was Greek. And so like, he also is one of these people that would be excluded from yes. the gospel had we not had this story of Corny right there at the beginning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then to see his huge impact he had. Right. Like, ima- imagine, that's one thing that I think everyone has to do in the church, and we're seeing it right now in the in the race conversation of, you have to imagine how much innovation, beauty, goodness, love we have left on the table because of our sin of exclusion, right? Yeah. You know, like, a- imagine not having the witness of Timothy, the text mm-hmm. that Timothy wrote, the impact that he had, the discipleship that he had. If they were, you know, to stand on that, you know, that grounds of not obeying the Acts 10 mandate. And so, man, that's a really hard question, but I think every Christian needs to ask that question, right? Of, of man, how much resurrection possibility and new creation possibility are we actually resisting and not allowing to happen because of our disobedience? Yeah, yeah. And we won't have the final say. I'm thankful, yeah. but it is. Um, yeah, he's going to make it work a, one way or another. Oh, yeah. no, that's Mordecai yeah. and Esther. That's like, yeah. I'm sure that deliverance will rise from someplace totally. else right. if you don't obey. Totally. But Right, but that is part of the mystery you of the want gospel in? Yeah. is yeah. that we are invited to participate yeah. and we can also participate negatively, mm-hmm. you know, totally. and it's true. I mean, it's we see it in Scripture. There was a line in this reading that reminded me, because you were already kind of on my brain, Jeff, as I was reading these passages to prepare to talk today. And I thought of Alyssa because Ooh. the way in Acts 16 in verse one, listen to how Timothy is described. Paul went on to Derby and Lystra where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman, but his father was a Greek. And I just thought about your kids and how like one of their descriptors in their life is going to be, you know, the son, the daughter of a believing woman. Mm. Mm. And that's one of the things that I think that not just I, but so many people that you let into your life via the internet (laughs) that we see in your family is like, it's clear to me what comes first in the Bethke household. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I, this the kind of legacy that we see in Timothy's story is that he's the son of a believing woman who was the daughter of a believing woman, or, you know, or I don't know what the lineage is, but your mother, Eunice, your grandmother, Lois, mm-hmm. like Paul says their names. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. astounding to me. Mm-hmm. There are so many totally. people in scripture who aren't mentioned by name. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, you know, yeah, my life is even like, I wouldn't be where I'm at without, you know, a believing woman, quote unquote, as a son, yeah. you know, uh, uh uh, multiple actually in my life when I was raised and stuff. And man, it's just fascinating to think about. I do think we're so addicted in the West to being self-made that that's yeah. even creeped into our, you know, our, our religious behavior, how we actually walk with the Lord thinking that like we self-made our testimony, oh, our Christianity. Hmm. And it's like, you have no idea the complexity of the chessboard that got you, you know, to believe in him, <laughs> you know, you have absolutely right. no this idea. not of ourselves that, totally. that we know. And not just yeah. his power, but the complexity of human dynamics and yes. prayer of other people, impact of other people, the stuff in the invisible realm. And the there is something the special. Saints. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There is something special about, you know, of course, hopefully as a dad, I'm, you know, having a big impact on my kids and stuff like that. But man, I don't, I can't put my finger on it. There's probably data to back it up at some level, but there's like a moms can just have this. They can hold their kids's heart and Mm -hmm. legacy and future so close to themselves at the feet of Jesus, like advocating for them on their behalf that there's just something powerful about there that I don't even think sometimes dads can replace, you know, and not that it's like a competition, but there's something special about the way that moms do that, that we see in Timothy, that Alyssa clearly does, you guys clearly do, that man, that you, the way you hold the next generation is deeply impactful and necessary. Yeah. And it makes me so grateful for what we've mentioned, you know, over and over again, even in just in this hour of the gift of scripture and the specific way in which it is written where you know, I can feel so much conviction and encouragement from what seems to be such a simple inclusion in the word as Paul's naming Timothy's 
mom and grandmother mm-hmm. as being part of the reason that he has come to faith. And in this coming from a man who calls him his son in the faith. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. just those dynamics of, you know, the body of Christ, the New Testament is so rich with all of those connections. And a lot of times I think we're, you know, focusing on other things, which is fine, to really dig into those dynamics is, it's really beautiful. I just love that it's not just familial connections. I love yes. that. And that feels really, really important to me. Yes. That like, yeah. yeah, there's like moms and grandmas and there's like these familial heritages yeah. a lot of times. Mm-hmm. And then it's like Paul and Timothy, or like we're going to get to like Philemon and Onesimus, like, and Paul in so many of these, like there yeah. is love that is water, not blood in a way that like, that is just as good when it comes to the gospel. Totally. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, yeah, exactly. And I think you just remind me of a second thing, so I'll try to do two quick things. The first one I was going to say is, yeah, I think this brings us back to Cornelius, because um, there's something in that text a lot of people don't talk about, the fact that the whole ba- the whole household is baptized, right? Yes, 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 yes. Um, and, and, and that's one of five, by the way. I think there's the, what, there's the Philippian jailer, there's, is it Lydia? Two more, Mm -hmm. you know, Google them. But there's Mm -hmm. multiple times where the oikos, the household, and by the way, household in first century did not mean nuclear Western American family, two parents, two kids. It probably meant about 50 people, including employees, servants, extended family. Yeah. That, like, that's fascinating. Yeah. Based on one man's patriarchal obedience. And I don't, I don't mean patriarchal in the Western swear word way. I mean it in like the actual, (laughs) like, he was the, he was the vision. He was this, this, this man of God that stepped into obedience to lead, serve, and love. Kind of like you know, trickled down into the rest of the family. And, and, you know, I think you can get into all the, you know, specifics in regards to infant baptism and all that stuff, but it's something to just let you sit in, right? There's something more covenantal about God than, again, our American Western Protestantized religion Mm -hmm. allows us to be. That God is a God of covenants, and covenants always in Scripture go on households, right? They Mm -hmm. always, like Abraham, you can go on and on. Every covenant that God unveils is a household covenant, an oikos covenant. That's a whole other conversation that we could probably take an hour on, but I think it's just something to wrestle in, to sit in. And I don't know, for me as a parent specifically, I receive that with the double-sided sword of like pressure and encouragement. Of course, yeah. Like the, the, the pressure of like, oh man, like, yeah, there is a trickling that happens here of whatever I believe and however I step into this faith and however I love Jesus but encouragement of like the God's covenantal, that God does not just yeah. love me as an individual, but he loves everyone I'm attached to in relationships. You know? And that you're saying like Cornelius, for example, like his household, his family, that covenant covering didn't just include sons and daughters, but that was like everyone totally. in his household, which to me just says like, hey, if you're a family and you are in the covenant, like reach out, look for people 100%. who are not yeah. in that household yes. and bring them into your household. Maybe yeah. not physically. Yes. Sure. Maybe physically. Listen, like we like having people but live totally. with us. But yes. like that's part of our witness. That's part of the way that yeah. we continue the obedience, the work yes. that Paul, that Timothy, that Priscilla and Aquila, yeah. like the reaching out and bringing in to the covenant. Yeah. And it's well, extended to everybody. Yes, exactly. And that's that's actually my biggest bone to pick with some of the more, the tendencies of Christian families, Christian homeschooling families, which we are those, by the way, so I'm speaking to myself, is they tend to be enormously insular yeah. and they tend yeah. to be, this is about us, right? And guys, read the scriptures. Israel made the exact same mistake. Yeah. Israel yeah. was blessed. Why? to then look outwardly to bless the nations. The minute they became insular, the -hmm. minute God judged them. Now, the only time I think God brings together teams, whether it be Israel, whether it be a family, is so that you can actually be a blessing. You are meant to be an orbiting force that you kind of vortex and suck other people in, for lack of better language, in regards to love, your table, your resources, your neighborhood, your houses. And that's really, really impactful. And then the second point you made too, I think is really critical of it doesn't have to be family, right? And even with you using your life to impact someone, hold on to your kids. One of my favorite parenting books, not Christian at all, two psychologists, you know, they talk about the ACE scores and trauma and all this different types of stuff. And they make it pretty clear through data that one of the best ways to make sure a child who has been through, like this is proven that a child who's gone through trauma, a child who's had a very difficult childhood, and this is proven in my life, by the way, as a single mom, poverty, you know, a bunch of bad stuff happened. But this was true. The way that that person, that kid does not stay hardened into adulthood where they just basically ruin their life is they say they just have to have one loving person that's constantly in their life, constantly present, never leaves, and that they can build a secure attachment with. And sometimes that's a middle school teacher. 
Sometimes that's their uncle. Sometimes that's someone at church, right? And I think that's, and and so take that to mind if you're listening that you can have that impact, right? That's good, Jeff. Yeah, it really is. And I I start preaching there. Sorry, I was going on. I love it. You don't have to apologize. Do it. That's what we're here for. What you guys have been bouncing back and forth here, this idea of bringing others in. I mean, that even connects to, you know, the Jerusalem Council and the, you know, the sheep that Peter saw in his vision that this is is a radical way to live, especially Mm -hmm. in our current culture, to proactively welcome others in and, and seek others out. But that kind of, you know, the the phrase like we belong to each other, you know, I see it on t-shirts or whatever, but like that originates with the gospel. Yeah. yeah. And in the story of Philemon and Onesimus, like the way that Philemon regards Onesimus as a brother and as someone to care for and protect yeah. and advocate for. And then this letter is so I would just encourage everyone to just go read it in full. It's 25 um, verses. 25 verses, the whole book. It's one chapter, 25 verses. But Rachel and I were reading it in the same room earlier and kind of laughing at like, Ooh, there's a lot that is, there's a lot that's said here. And there's a lot that's unsaid that you can hear loud and clear from Paul to Philemon. Wait, can I read my favorite part? And this is out of order because I'm just going to ask, we don't have time to do the whole thing, but I want our listeners to just go read the 25 verses because this is a beautiful book of the Bible worth reading. But in verse 18, so what's happening here is that Paul has befriended Onesimus, who is a slave to Philemon. And he is sending Onesimus back to Philemon and saying like, hey, I need you to welcome him no longer as your slave, but as your brother in Christ. And in verse 18, he says, and if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention that you owe me for even your very self. I love that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, Paul. No big deal. And then True he says, though. yeah, okay. And then he says, yes, brother, may I benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Since I am confident of your obedience, I am writing to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. So this is like his like, thanks in advance. <laughs> but like exactly. the language, the like said and unsaid is like comical between yes. Paul and Philemon. And it's clear he's not telling him what to do. But he's making it very clear. If you back up, yeah, like, it's just so beautiful. Verse 8. If, if you go. do verse 4 and 5 first, or verse 5, that says, because I hear of your love for the saints and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus, and then you go down to 8. Yeah, for this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. I became his father while I was in chains. I mean, we can just keep going. Mm -hmm. But this, goodness, (laughs) verse 11, once he was useless to you, but now he is useful both to you and to me. I am sending him back to you. I am sending my very own heart. I mean, heart in the margin. Yeah. It's just... You don't do emojis in your margins, Jeff? I don't. I need to, though. I need to get emoji stickers. That'd be I the just way feel to do like it. I need to Put be clear that a heart in. wasn't a heart was a heart before it was an emoji. Yeah, exactly. That's, That's right. fair. That's fair. It's been it's, around it's, longer than emojis. Yeah, right. come on. But there's also a thread in this letter about doing this out of out of love, out of free will, not out of obligation, or because we're being commanded to. I mean, those are also reasons. But it you know it so mirrors so many aspects of the gospel where you know we are to obey because we are commanded to yes but we obey out of love mm-hmm. for Jesus mm-hmm. and so the appeal to you on the basis of love i think goes so many levels deep yes mm-hmm. i'm looking back right now like i'm just looking back on our james reading where he's just saying but be doers of the word not hearers only deceiving yourselves like and he where james you know yeah. if we go back to earlier in this episode just thinking about like the compelling is beyond like knowing what's right or hearing yeah. it but it's the doing like what are you going to do about it i love that i wish that we didn't i wish that we weren't out of time yeah i mean it does feel like a little bit of a bomb to drop to get to the the slavery <laughs> account. Philemon could be its own episode, especially in today's climate. A couple of well, notes can, yeah. that that I think are helpful as you do go to read the account on your own. The slavery that is is being alluded to here is is slavery. It is based on class, as I understand it. So it's not race, and so it's a, it's different. I mean, it's important. Is it more to, like feudal. 
F E U D A L. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's still clearly yeah. not okay. Yeah. Not right. But the mentions of slavery in the Bible, like slavery is mentioned in the Old Testament, it's mentioned in the New Testament as factual. It's like this is something that exists in the world into which the writers of the Bible are writing. And so, and as well as like referring to us as the slaves of Christ, like not slaves to the world. But right. It provides an analogy. Provides of, an analogy. Yeah. 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 But one thing that someone on our team said that it just kind of got stuck into my, my brain on this is that we keep talking about the gospel itself as being the foundation for all of this discussion that we're having. They said that in the gospel itself is the seed for the undoing of slavery. And mm. so while you know, we want to look in the Bible and find, wait, I need every time it's mentioned, I need it to be also refuted in my modern day terms so that I can feel, you know, so that I can feel comfortable with this. But the undoing of slavery that we want is very clear in the gospel of Jesus. Jeff, this is the tangle knot that we talked about at the beginning, like where you're like, if you find this, this isn't not a cause for fear. Yeah, totally. Yeah. There's um, a couple resources for people too. I mentioned in the beginning, I think, yeah, Andy Crouch and N.T. Wright have a really good stuff on Philemon. Some not yeah. straight on the nose, you know, like there's mentioned in some of their books and stuff like that. But I think, you know, Crouch has a really good talk at Q that he mentioned we'll, at once. And we'll it was link really those profound. in the show notes if you'll yeah. give them to us. That way folks can and I think, find those. I think actually Wright, because I first saw him read a bit about him with Philemon. I think it was his whole premise of Paul and the Faithfulness of God or one of those big tomes. But then he ended up doing a whole course. So he has a whole, I think, free. Like, let's just go get it. It's like 10, yeah, 20 videos yeah. on Philemon, and it's free. And I believe it's on just that, and it's really, really good. That's great, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if we belong to each other in the, the spiritual sense and in, in the body of Christ, if we're brothers and sisters, the way that we've seen these characters in the Bible talking about one another, these real people, then no one can own another person. Mm-hmm. Like, you yeah. can't belong mm-hmm. to a person physically. Like, that's... We are one in Christ. And so it is It is a whole Bible issue. Yeah. I mean, that's like right back to today's reading. So Monday's reading. Totally. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, that you alluded to this, Jeff. Galatians yeah. 3, for those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Mm. This is the word of the Lord. I love that. And what's funny, though, too, is it's like Paul's recapitulating the very thing yeah. that accidentally made people very exclusionary, which is yeah. the seed of Abraham. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's I like love that, that was the, that's very fascinating that it's not, he's not deleting it or running away from it, but he's actually saying, no, the very thing that was grounds for exclusion, we are children of Abraham, you are not in the Gospels, which is a very big prominent narrative is the very thing that he actually says, no, this is actually the place where you find the most unity and inclusion. This is, is that Paul saying all He was y'all. a family of God to the nations. <laughs> yeah. 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 I love that. Okay. So Jeff, at the end of every episode, here's what yes. we do. You know, She Reads Truth podcast. Hot seat questions. We open our Bible <laughs> and we talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. That's what we yeah. just did. Great job. Yep. You were a really fun guest to have. At the well, end fun. of the episode, we talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth that we're seeing in our everyday lives, because that is also what points us to the beauty and goodness and truth of yes. Christ, of God. Yes. So I don't know if you have anything prepared, but I do love to put you on the hot seat. If you're not ready, we can toss it to Amanda. Who's also just not where I'm, Just where I'm seeing goodness in the everyday. <laughs> yeah, beauty, goodness, and or truth. Yeah, I would say Anything. one thing that's really been one thing that's really been a focus of our family, I guess for a couple of years, but I feel like, you know, I get in these spurts of more concentration and right now is one of those, is just centering the table with really good food and really good relationships, right? And like, I'm in a family context, so I'm going to let that play out mostly, you know, with my family and the kids, but hopefully when things back open up, we love just having friends over, et cetera. And I would just say there's something about ordinary sacredness that we have to get back in our spiritual formation, Right. We need to stop looking for the things that are going to be the camp highs, the things that are going to, you know, take us to this next level or take us to the third heaven or take us to Sinai, you know? And we need to understand that like most of scripture and most of where God shows up is in the very ordinary mundane moments of collision where you're already doing something and he shows up. And man, the table, it's not a coincidence that when Jesus says, when Jesus is trying to use language analogies, metaphors to talk about the kingdom of heaven, it's not a coincidence that the number one the number one word picture he uses is table, feast, wedding, banquet, you know, on and on and on. Like, and do you actually act as if that's true? And so 
We try that with our family, you know, whether it's once a week on our Sabbath, we do a really big blowout dinner that's more kind of like a family holiday, you know, whether it's just sharing meals at the park or whatever, but just like leaning into it, putting your phone away, right? The phone should never be at the table. Just get that out of there. Throw it out the window if you have to, you know what I mean? <laughs> Go flip phone. That is just, and just be present, right? And there's something about a table that's the perfect metaphor of what we've been talking about so much in this episode. The table is a perfect equalizer. It's not a coincidence that like you're all sitting down eye to eye. So now all of a sudden, if someone's six, nine and someone's five, eight in general, you're eye to eye. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's not a coincidence that no one is like on a stage and there's a bunch of chairs when you Mm -hmm. eat. Right. Which by the way, is just lends my thoughts to communion, but that's a whole nother thing. (laughs) It's the fact that it's equalized. It's eye to eye. You're facing each other in a really equal yet dynamic way. And that's a picture of the kingdom. And I think when you step into that, that's what we're learning right now. When you ask beauty and goodness in the everyday of just meals, meals, how can we, how can we bring questions to our table that feel special and sacred and beautiful and good? How can we bring moments to our table? And if you're a family listening, by the way, one really easy way, which we alluded to earlier is just be dumb, ridiculous, and funny. Probably at least four or five times a week, I'm standing on our table doing something. I'm standing on a chair doing something. Yes. I'm yelling something. I'm chanting something because who cares? It's your house. Do whatever the crap you want. I feel like right? we've missed out. We have, Jeff has remained right? seated the whole exactly. time. I, know. No. I should have stood on the table. Exactly. What? This is my one, uh, my one subdued day, but man, like, I think that's just You're like, headed to the beach. Make, this is not a subdued day. You're going to do great. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I think just, man, that's where we're seeing the beauty and the goodness. And that's just hopefully a, a tip for you guys that, man, yeah. that, that's, that God wants to enter into the ordinary, the laughter, the humanness. I yeah. love that. Alyssa, if you're listening, we're going to need some video footage. Yes. Right, right. She'll probably listen to this once it's up. So she probably will. Yeah. She has some. <laughs> she has some. Jeff, my uh, beauty, goodness, and truth is almost always food as well. (laughs) I can't help that. I just love it. But this morning I was eating avocado toast and my, I did a really good over medium egg on it. And as I took a bite, like the yellow, like it was almost like orange yolk dripped. And I was like, yes, like it was just like the most beautiful. It was a really good egg. And like, I don't know. Like to me, it was just like, oh Lord, wow. Like, look what you made. People know how difficult those are. That's a, that's a blessing. That's that's not an ordinary sacredness. That's a huge gift. Yeah. Yeah. So like, that was like genuine beauty in my life this morning that made me think about how, what a great creator the Lord is, is my orange runny yolk. That's like you, Rachel. You're a really good egg. Thanks. Rachel's a really good egg. (laughs) Mine's also food adjacent. I love um, this that we're all doing food. What's, yeah. that, what's that Psalm text, Psalm 16, where it's like, I delight in fat and rich food? That's my yeah, life man. verse. Yeah. Everyone <laughs> does Jeremiah 29 and all that. Yeah. No, mine yeah. is I delight in fat and rich food. That's my okay. life verse. Yeah, I think my mom must have prayed that over me when I was a child. <laughs> but we have, we inherited some fruit bushes and trees in our backyard when we moved into the house where we now live and have for about a year and a half. But watching and waiting for the berries to ripen has been oh, yeah. so fun. And it's been like a, a spiritual experience for me just to just to watch and see that it takes a while and then there'll be you know a bush of blueberries and they'll all be green and there'll be one that's ripe out of like hundreds mm, and yep. like how did you how did that happen how'd you do that and like and you know and it's not it's just the lord's pleasure at creating goodness you know and just to just to watch creation and it's just it's kind of gotten me to watch creation more closely than i normally would yeah. in yeah. my you know the busyness of everyday life so yeah, but then also we eat them. So there, that's that's, that's beauty, that. goodness, and truth. Because like, there's exactly. so much truth to watching. I mean, obviously, like the bearing of fruit as yeah. discussed yep. in scripture. But just like even the waiting on the Lord, right? Totally. And then it's still there's always something happening, even yeah. if you're not seeing it. Yeah. And then there'll be like a little patch of a little, you know, uh, branch of berries that are all withered and dried and and didn't get to ripen and be healthy because it broke. Like it was yeah. no longer attached to the source and mm-hmm. it just withered up. And I was like, oh, um, that will preach. That will preach. Yeah, that's good. Well, Jeff, what a fun hour. Thank this you so fun. much for giving this to us and to our community. Thanks um, for having me. Loved talking about Corny and others. Corny. Right. Never going to look at his name listen, again. You better use that. You better I use know, that. I know. Hey, yep. thank you so much. And we hope to have you back soon. And friends, if you're listening, come back next week. We are going to open up one chapter over the course of two weeks, Psalm 119. It's going to be a fantastic series. We cannot wait to open this one beautiful chapter that just delights in God's word. So come back next week for that. And until then, Jeff, what do we say? Keep opening your Bibles. <laughs>